Greetings, this is Kurt. Here we continue with the third and largest portion of Book One, Enchanter's Lot. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. We'd like to hear from you. Simply send comments, compliments, and questions to our email. If you care to be a benefactor and help in keeping these complex productions coming, it's very easy. Just buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with the description of each episode. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is episode 19. The Harkin Theater presents the sound plays of... A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Book One, Part Three, Enchanter's Lot. Chapter 23. There in a spotted something. Lazar called to Gawan and Cheney riding at the front. It was almost noon on their second day of travel down the southwest road, and they had been riding at a relaxed pace, keenly aware they neared the place where Cheney and her companions had been assaulted. With the group's expectations heightening, Lazar had been allowing his wardmate hawk, Thern, to make routine scouting flights ahead. How far ahead? The enchanter slowed their pace somewhat. The elfin guard stared ahead, oblivious to his immediate surroundings, all his attention on what he saw through his hawk's sharp eyes as he estimated distance from the air. No more than three dragon lengths. Lazar described exactly what he saw. I see smoke from a campfire. I see several men sitting around it. There's an obstacle on the road. Two trees, one blocking, and another man sitting in the tree, watching the road. Lazar then allowed the contact with his wardmate to recede to the back of his consciousness. That's new. Sounds like they're getting clever. Fallen trees behind which to hide and shoot in either direction at stopped travelers. The best way to overcome an impassable fortress. Chania remembered the lessons of war from her tutors. Is to infiltrate it. Aye. How large are those trees, Lazar? He narrowed eyes as he shifted awareness again. The one on this side is leafy, but not very big. It tapers toward the far side of the road. Low enough to jump? I would think so. 
but not the second tree. Very well. Let's break to the split formation and pick up some speed. He winked at Chanium. Let's give them a good approach to whet their appetites. The princess nodded agreement and signaled the rest of their group. All the men, except for Gon, who was riding crossbow with Flaina, and Gawon slackened pace, allowing the others to get a fair distance ahead. The rear group checked weapons and readied bows. Taking the lead, Gawon took the women round a bend and out of sight. Ahead was a long, straight stretch, the fallen trees just beyond the next turn. The highway robbers obviously wanted to make sure their quarry was not being immediately followed. Though eager for the confrontation, Gawon kept their speed as relaxed as possible, not wanting to betray any awareness of the trap waiting for them. He glanced up and felt reassured upon seeing Thairn gliding in their direction. Lazar would no doubt keep the rear group informed. Then he checked his riding companions one last time. Glad he had decided allowing Gon to ride with Flaina instead of his usual place with Thasgar, the dwarf too short to maintain effective control of a horse. From his seat before the half-elf, Gon winked confidently at the enchanter, his crossbow loaded and ready. <clears throat> Making the next turn after the straight portion, they saw the fallen trees just ahead. Five men emerged from the forest on either side of the road and waved their arms in distress, the same tactic they had used on Chania's group several days earlier. Pleased with Lazar's accurate description, Gawon judged the tapered end of the first tree an easy clearance for their steeds, and said to Malinon, We're going to jump it, Malay. His elf horse wickered acquiescence, eliciting <laughs> a chorus from the other three, and as one, they increased their speed slightly, anticipating the jump. Seeing the riders were not going to stop, the five men stepped out of the way, weapons appearing in their hands, and allowed them to leap over the first tree. What? What? Gawon feigned outrage and surprise when they discovered there was no escape from the space between the fell trees. Just as he wheeled Malay about and called for his companions to turn around and go back, the five men clambered over their tree with angry hoops, while five more men, mounted and brandishing bows, came through the bracken on either side of the road and forced Gawan's group back against the second, larger tree. The five footmen wove their way quickly through their cohorts and closed on them while one of the mounted robbers jabbed a lance into the air. All of you, dismount! Gawan appraised the harsh-looking man quickly and judged him to be of little patience, if any, though what he expected to do with a lance in such a limited area couldn't have been much. His footmen, however, were more formidable. Loaded crossbows were leveled at Gawan and his companions. What are you doing? He glared at the footmen. What do you want? Be <laughs> 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 blessed, We've got us a smart boy here. He nudged his steed forward until it was head to head with Malena, then touched his lance to Gawan's chest. Uh, we want your valuable dung brain. Dismount! The enchanter surveyed the armed men as he appeared to waver in making a decision, then glanced at Thern circling above. And if I refuse? 
The leader blinked with disbelief at his captive. Either you dismount and dump your treasure, or we'll take your pretty witches and mount them instead. <laughs> Noticing the dwarf with a cocked crossbow sitting on the horse reined by one of the half-elfin women, the leader squinted an eye and frowned suspiciously at his captives as he tried to remember something his superior, Sarnath, had told him to watch for. And this man with a green riding cloak bore no weapons that he could see. He cursed inwardly at his absent superior, not used to having to remember instructions. He was just a sword for hire, not a lieutenant. Sarnath was due back later today, having gone to meet and guide back additional men for the attack on Hopetown. Frustrated with his poor memory, he shoved the point of his lance against the man's chest again. What's your name, Dunk Brain? What should that matter? Not much. Gawan tugged surreptitiously at Malidon's mane. His elf horse blew, forcing the leader's horse back a step. Reacting to his message, the other horses fidgeted in place, forcing the footmen to shuffle back a few steps for fear of a hoof flying out suddenly. He nodded shortly at one of his footmen. <coughs> Gawan saw the crossbow bolt sticking out of his hip, then stared wide-eyed at the blood spreading down her leg. Last warning, you're next. We don't want to sour all your women before we As you wish. The enchanter shifted in his saddle and moved a hand to the clasp of his cloak. My name is Gaywan. In the next instant, he was jumping from his saddle and shimmering to invisibility. The leader gaped in the realization that he had forgotten the one important thing Sarnath had told him to watch for. Hell smoke! Grab the women! Hold him! Maledun reared and screamed in challenge, forcing the leader's steed to back away from the threat of his sharp hooves. Ho! Go! Flayna spurred her horse about, but a mounted robber fell, gone bolt in his chest. Two of the footmen were knocked flat by the sudden melee of animals, their crossbows shooting wild and missing any intended targets. The sound of additional horses surged through the air as the rear group arrived, jumping the tree and attacking. The area between felled trees became a tremendous confusion of horses, men, and flashing weapons. Of Abluis's staff on his skull and fell to the dirt. Others were forced back by swinging blades in the hands of Cluck, Lazar, Durrell, Gibraltar, and Thasgar. Wanting to defend the wounded Chainia and deciding she would do better on foot, Flayna dismounted, held the gun, and slapped her steed's flank to send it into the woods. An instant later, she was engaged in a sword to ass fight with a robber who seemed to she was an easy opponent. He soon discovered another prize. Flayna's fight was ended abruptly as Gaywan appeared behind her opponent and clapped him on the head with the hilt of his dagger. <coughs> she received a smile from her lover as he shimmered out again. The robber he had struck now prostrate on the ground. Unhorsed, the leader of the highway robbers backed out of the fight warily, headed through the underbrush, and tried to decide what would be the best thing to do. 
run away and consider himself lucky to have survived, or head south and hope to meet up with Sarneth and tell him what had happened. Peering out from the tangle of branches and vines, he took one last quick assessment of the battle, seeing most of his men trying to either rally in groups of three or escape singularly, none having any real success. Suddenly, hands clapped his ears. He thought about to see them. Come here, coward! He held a hand to one of his aching ears. Show yourself and fight me like a man! Already frightened by the force of this vanguard, now he was angry at this opponent who skulked unseen. Damn, mage! Ah, but who be the true coward? One who fights for justice, or one who sneaks away from an honorable battle? Ah, you're just a water weed, too scared to let me see you and fight. You are certainly unseen in the fight. The robber spun about. The enchanter was standing ten paces away with a dagger pointed confidently at him. The robber brought up his axe, <laughs> then unsheathed a dirk hidden in a wrist cuff and started moving toward him, axe and blade ready. Yar! What do you think you're going to do with that pig sticker? Trim me nails? One would imagine your nails are filthy. Aye, from handling all your filthy gold and silver and ripping your dirty women. He stepped closer and wondered why this man, this mage, didn't see his opponent's advantage and surrender. Once done, the rest of his group would also surrender rather than see him killed. Only a water weed would worry about his fingers. Oh, why is that? Your weed must not be any good for ripping women, so you must use your fingers instead. Gawan had always considered the slang for a man's sexual organ most crude. So named because like a weed it grew quickly. Waterweed was an insult meant for a man who was unable to do anything except urinate with his weed. He decided to join in the verbal repartee. If this is true, then why am I in the company of women and you are in the company of men? His jibe invoked the intended outrage, the robber swiftly flinging his long-bladed dirk. Gawon dodged and spun around a small rip, announcing the near-miss tagging his cloak. My, you handle sharp things well. Certainly not like you. The robber edged closer, raising his axe to strike. Ah, confidence. The enchanter raised a finger. Confidence is indeed important in a hand-to-hand -hand contest. I don't know what you're whining about, Waterweed, but nobody is going to help you. Now just shut up and let me kill you quietly. An axe? Against a dagger? With his free hand, Gawan gestured to each weapon. Where is the honor in an unmatched fight? Son, your honor. Having the upper hand means you win. No longer interested in a hostage, he angled his first strike toward Gawon's neck. I'll just lop your head off, and then we'll see how well you can talk. He didn't know why his soon-to-be-dead victim's sudden grin made him hesitate. Indeed, advantage does have its singular satisfaction, doesn't it? A flash shot between... <laughs> 
robber dropped his weapon hand and looked at the fresh gash in his hip, welling with blood. Astonished, for he could have sworn his opponent had not moved. He stared with disbelief at the dagger now dripping with blood. A gift from the elf woman you wounded. Gawan now slashed his blade in the air before the man's chest. And one from myself. Another flash jumped between them. In a last moment of disorientation, the robber swung futilely with his axe to parry a blade that was no longer there. With his gambeson breached and his chest gushing blood, he dropped to his knees, then fell face forward into the forest floor. You, you killed him! Another man escaped from the subsiding battle. The new opponent rushed him with bare hands stretched out before him, murder in his eye. Gawan positioned himself for defense. The attacker flailed and stumbled to the ground with an arrow jutting out of his spine. Are you all right, love? Flaina stepped under some screening branches, lowered her bow, and looked with concern at her chosen. I am now. He smiled wiping his blade clean on the first man's clothing, then headed back to the road, wanting to leave behind the stench of loosened bowels rising from the dead men. Though he detested having to kill, sometimes there is little choice. He shoved aside the quiet pangs of remorse and turned his attention to the immediate. The fight was over as he and Flaina returned. He sheathed his dagger and calmly inspected the aftermath. Seven robbers lay face down in the road, all breathing but one surrounded by the brownish mud of blood and dirt. Gone stood guard, looking very pleased, his feet planted on two men's backs as he stood with arms crossed and watched for any movement from their prisoners. Giberon, Bryn, and Lazar tended to Chania, who lay pinned beneath her horse, while Clough and Thasgar coaxed the uninjured to get up. Chania cried the horse's weight was removed from her leg. Fortunately, her wounded hip had not been crushed. Handing Gawan her bow, Flaina ran to Chania's side as the others helped her to lie flat, then examined her legs and where the crossbow bolt stuck out of her hip. Do either of them feel broken? Chania was drenched in sweat as she shook her head with a painful grimace. Flaina looked up and around for her steed and the pack of physic supplies it carried, then stood up to fetch it. As she headed for her horse, it surprised her to hear Sir Gibberon Someone call for water. Bring water, please. Bit of a mess there. Oh, God! She dashed back to see Gibberon kneeling over her with the bloody crossbow bolt in his hands. Beneath him, the princess writhed and moaned as steadying hands from Bryn and Lazar gripped her Hold shoulders. Still. Hold still. What in God's name are you doing? She was about to shove this ham-handed warrior aside and try to administer to the suffering elf woman, but was stopped by Durwan, his grip on her arm almost painful. Hold, Lina. He knows what he's doing. She struggled in his grasp. Making it worse. The dark-haired warrior stepped in her path and glared her into silence. Be still just for a moment. You'll see. 
Giberon quickly tossed aside the bolt, slapped hands onto the wound, and applied pressure. Easy now. His fingers became coated with red clots as more blood gushed forth for a moment, then stopped. At the same time, he started singing. Flaina yanked herself free of Durwan's insistent grasp, then stopped as she heard the sound and blinked in quiet amazement at the twelve-rayed silver star hanging around Giberon's neck and remembered he was a knight serving the Freethinkers. The word he sang was the secret name for God, something she had sung throughout her childhood with her elfin mother. Under the knight's touch, Chania's breathing came easier, her shoulders relaxing in grin and Lazar's arms, eyes closing as if going into a peaceful sleep. He ended his gentle chant and leaned back on his heels. That's the best I can do. Gawan stepped to Flaina's side. Gibberon practices spiritual powers of healing. Forgive me for not telling you sooner, but the subject never arose until now. Gibberon looked over to the half-elf and smiled. Forgive me for frightening any of you. Might someone fetch water? Wanting to see the results of his ministrations for herself, Flaina snatched a water sack off the nearest horse, uncorked it, and splashed water over his waiting hand and Chania's bloody leg. To her amazement, the gory wound of protruding, torn flesh was gone, with only a small scar remaining as testament to the damage. The princess surfaced from her drowsiness as Bryn and Lazar helped her to sit up. Everyone came to look at the result of Giberon's healing touch. With sleepy eyes, Chania smiled gratefully at the knight. Thou art a blessing among us, Sir Giberon. I seek only to serve as a channel for the healers of the inner worlds and the light and sound of God, princess. He dried his hands. Tis nothing more that I have done except that. Tis a shame he couldn't lay hands on these men and heal them of their evil ways. Thasgar casually booted one of the prostrated robber's legs. Stop squirming. (laughs) Would that I could, but men have to heal their own hearts. So what now? Gon was still standing on two men's backs. Do we skewer them and be done with it? Nay. "'Tis not honorable. We have proven our strength and cunning over theirs.' The dwarf hid a scowl beneath his bushy eyebrows, aware that the robbers probably wouldn't have thought twice about killing them. "'No, we have to do some investigating first. Then we'll release them in a conditional manner.' "'Conditional?' Once we have the information we require, we shall tie their hands, then their ankles to each other, and let them run out of range before we use them for target practice. He winked conspiratorially at his fellows, receiving understanding nods, then waved Ablui and Durwan over to speak with them quietly. Except for Clough, Gan, and Thasgar, who kept watch on their captives, the others tended to the more immediate matter of moving their horses back around the first fallen tree. Bryn and Lazar helped Chania to her feet and walked her slowly around to get any stiffness out of her healed wound. 
agreeing on a method of questioning, Ablui, Durwan, and Gaywan interrogated each of the surviving robbers separately, hoping to find out who hired them, how long they were supposed to remain, and when they were to be paid. They carefully avoided any mention of Calron's name, hoping it might surface in the questioning as proof of the Dark Mage's nefarious plot. It turned out that their leader, Sarneth, was the only one to have spoken with their employer, and he was gone until later today when he would return with two score men to join them for a combined attack on Hopetown. Calron's name never came up, but Gaywans did several times as their employer. And from what they were able to piece together, the man Gaywan killed was the only one other than Sarneth who knew their employer and Gaywan were different individuals. Troubled about the planned attack on Hopetown and the lack of any information concerning Calron, they decided to hide and wait for Sarneth and his additional men to arrive. In the meantime, their usefulness at an end. The robbers were made to stand, then were bound in the way Gaywan had described. This considered an expeditious method of dispensing with the prisoners. There was no need or desire to kill them, and the distraction of guarding and herding them back to Hopetown and Justice would prove a hazard. Forcing the robbers to scrounge on their own without weapons or horses was punishment enough. Deciding to make their penance seem as awful as possible, Thasgar and Gunn enhanced Gaywan's suggestion of target practice by being obvious in testing the toughness of their bows, the sharpness of their arrows and bolts, while coldly discussing their accuracy at long range and making wagers as to how many slow ones there would be for them to shoot. The six robbers' weapons were confiscated, and they were walked around the felled tree to the road leading back to Hopetown. As the men were lined up, Flana, Clough, and Lazar joined in the charade, notching arrows and limbering bows behind them. The enchanter strolled around the ankle-bound robbers and smiled coldly at them. Don't think us cruel. We'll only shoot the ones who fall down. Crossing arms with satisfaction, he watched their eyes grow round with panic. Now, men, you will run for the love of your miserable hides. Run! A whipper escaped from one as the six forward in a seven-legged race of fright. A couple of them fell flat at first, but were quickly lifted by their cohorts amidst being dragged. Watch up! I'm betting on down in two of them. There was a rousing laugh from the room as the comic scene of the seven robbers hopping and stumbling desperately faster. One of the robbers started coaching the others into step, and they made good distance down the road. Derwan, let's ride. Derwan and Gibberon mounted up and pursued the men at a casual pace to make sure they didn't stop to untie themselves too soon. Ablui called Gaywan and Chania over and proceeded to show them the robber's campsite, pointing out an oiled tarp that had been staked to the ground near a second campfire. 
Perhaps you can identify the stuff. There were numerous small sacks containing gray and brown powders. Mm. Fire powders? Gaewon knelt and sipped through the contents of one, touching a bit of it to his tongue. Pure nitre. As usual, Calron is unseen, but his trail becomes clear. There must be enough here to incinerate this entire forest. Or an entire town. Or a house with a family. He shuddered with disgust at being this close to the products of what he viewed as the filthier side of magic. Stuff that could easily be used or misused by the common man to inflict misery on another. The rewards of magic and power were reserved only for those able to discipline themselves and comprehend the results of that which they practiced. There were enough immoral mages in the world without allowing the uninitiated masses undisciplined access to the volatile products of alchemy, like allowing young children to play with very sharp knives and loaded crossbows. Disgusting crap. He stood and wiped his hands clean. Chania frowned, unaware of his thoughts, and perplexed by the masked anger she sensed radiating from him. Tis merely the tools of a mage, Gaewan. In the hands of these simpletons? He quickly regained his composure. This is another example of Calron's disregard for life. I infer from your anger that you wouldn't advise our use of them? She was witnessing a side of Gaewan she hadn't imagined to exist. Rage aimed at alchemy and its issue. My own knowledge of fire powders is enough that I know better than to toy with them. They are much too unstable, like trusting a bone fire to not stray from its place. Chania thought this over for a moment, finding his logic sound. At least we'll keep Calron from using them. He stared into the forest, his mind conjuring horrible images of Hopetown and its citizens burning, and then memories of his twelfth birthday and the smoking hole in the ground, all that was left of his home and family, while in the shadows he imagined a dark mage dancing gleefully upon the ashes. Chania regarded him quietly, then looked to Ablui, who leaned on his staff and calmly observed their interchange. I'm curious as to how far Gaewan's patience will go. She bent over and picked up one of the small sacks, then fingered the phosphoretted powder spilling out. I think I'll experiment with a little of it before we discard the whole supply. Gaewan crossed his arms as he looked at her. You know your limitations, I trust. Just don't burn down the kitchen, as my mother used to say. She was not sure whether or not to be offended. I'm not a neophyte in these matters, Gaewan. Then wondered if she had taken one step too many as she watched his reaction. He clamped his jaw shut and blinked, his expression vacillating between mild astonishment and confusion. Forgive me, Chania. I didn't mean to sound peremptory. Having expected an outburst of some kind, his admission of weakness took her by surprise, and she quickly sought a gentle response as she self-consciously shifted the sack in her hands. 
Of course, Gawain. I can see you are concerned. His eyes seemed to glow for an instant, his voice taking on a depth she had never before heard. I've always wondered if fire powders and the death of my family were related. Then he was Gawain again, looking quietly subdued as he walked back to the road. Chania looked helplessly at Hamlui, seeking consolation. The priest smiled gently. Fret not, Chania. Gawan, like many of us, is a complex being. Yet, despite his feelings, I do not believe he disapproves of your intention. Feeling awkward nevertheless, the elf woman stared into the gray powder sparkling in her palm. Be bold! The fire powder you hold did not cause his problems. Hell smoke! She cursed to herself, adopting the robber's epithet. She had recently learned the satisfaction of vulgarities when one was frustrated, something never practiced in her father's court. Just because Gawan has problems with this stuff doesn't mean I can't use it. She decided to pack some of the fire powder with her own supplies. Noting the still smoldering campfire nearby, she called her half-elven friend. Bryn? She arrived quickly and gaped at the collection of fire powders. We're going to dispose of most of it, but I wanted to experiment to see if there's any worth keeping. I need some suggestions for a small mixture. Suggestions? Bryn raised an eyebrow as Chania shrugged. I remember only basics. You were the better one with the alchemy we were shown. And this stuff is different from what we had in Grammont. Bryn knelt and sorted through the sacks, loosening ties and sifting the various powders through her fingertips. This is a much finer grade and very fresh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She cogitated for a moment as she quietly enjoyed the princess's compliment. A powder ball made of two measures of the phosphorated, three of the sulfur, and one of the retardant. She pointed in turn at sacks of silver, yellow, and white powders. Without hesitation, Chania proceeded, cupping her palm and measuring a small amount of sulfured powder, which she mixed with a little spittle, then adding an equal amount of the phosphoretted, moistening it and rolling the two together. Finally, she coated the lump with white retardant. Stand back. She headed for the smoking coals of the small fire, stopped at a short distance, then carefully tossed the powder ball into the coals and stepped back. The mixture immediately sparked, then glowed and crackled as the retardant coating burned, giving way to the next layer. Instinctively, Bryn pulled Chania further back, Ah. guessing that the presence of the retardant meant the other powders were extremely volatile. A shower of sparks erupted from the coals, sending a spray of blue and yellow stars in all directions, then gave way to an endless firework that devoured the campfire and... The spectacle ended with a thick cloud of smoke curling up to be dissipated by the wind. (coughs) (coughs) Impressive. (coughs) Ablui waved smoke from his face and quickly stepped on several small flames coming to life on the forest floor from the spray of sparks. I can see why Gawain was so agitated. Chania also smothered a couple of tiny fires under her boots. This stuff is extremely powerful. Several others from the group came to see the source of the fireball. 
Lazar, dig a hole deep enough. We need to bury this stuff deep in the forest. Gaewan, meanwhile, directed the others to conceal their horses in the forest, dispose of the three dead men, and obliterate all traces of the short battle. By late afternoon, concealed in various hiding places near the robbers' campsite, they settled in to wait for this leader of the robbers named Sarneth and his forty men, and, hopefully, Calron. Their vigil did not last long. Thank you.